Hey everybody, welcome to the Social Room Podcast. Happy Friday. I am Alec Ruman, and let's not waste any time because there's a lot of big news. That's a lot of stuff has happened this week. I'm sure many of you have seen and heard that Twitter is rebranding to X, changing the logo, the name of the service, the company's name itself has changed. Uh, even the verb of tweeting is going to change to making an X or Xing, which rolls off the tongue just as well as uh, making a thread or threading. So I guess there's no leg up on Mark Zuckerberg here. Um, big shakeup in the status quo. Uh, who would have thought? Apparently this has been a long time in the making and I guess one of the primary reasons for Elon's Mu Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter in the first place. Um, or maybe this is just a Hail Mary to drum up more buzz around the app that doesn't involve Elon Musk burning it to the ground. Uh, so this is a move from the tech billionaire to follow in the footsteps of China's WeChat. Uh, it's basically a super app that allows connection, communication, you know, expression, banking, transactions, storefronts, games. Um, and Elon Musk is hopefully or well trying to turn Twitter into something like that. Um, I think it's a little too early to be rebranding yourself into a super app. There is no incorporation of any different external apps or services on Twitter. It's just Twitter with a new coat of paint. So why did he rebrand it without any change to the business model at all? It's like the same thing that Meta did, uh, where they just immediately course corrected into tr primarily trying to be a virtual reality business. And they took a pretty big hit on it on the shareholder side. Um, obviously Twitter is private now, so we can't really see the statistics of how people are reacting and how, you know, the stock would react according to this news. But, um, I personally think this is just a publicity stunt to try to get people more excited about advertising on Twitter, uh, maybe get like more creators over there because they just opened up the, uh, revenue sources towards creators to get a share of ad revenue without, you know, actually making any real change. Uh, there's a lot of big promises, though. Uh, also, I think it's like, I don't know, it's kind of funny, but he just, Elon Musk just had someone make a logo in the comments and he liked one of them. I can really only hope that he's getting paid a large sum, the artist at least, because this logo is going to be everywhere and like, I'm not really sure I like it. It's, it seems very stripped down. I'm not even trying to make like the adult content joke either everyone it keeps saying that x kind of sounds like a porn website but it really does just seem too stripped down and upon some research it literally the logo is basically just unicode's x it's unicode so like it just seems i don't know big respect to the artist for getting noticed but it just like seems very lazy um i do hope they are paid you know as i said a big chunk of change because now this is going to be everywhere for its branding uh for those of you unaware of why elon musk is branding it to x it's a long story that has its beginnings in the early 2000s uh and the late 90s uh elon musk was ceo of paypal in 2000 and he tried to rebrand the company to x.com trying to give it a different flair because he was expecting it to take up a large majority of online banking and then take over the financial industry uh, focus groups and the board of directors thought that x.com, like I said before, sounded like an adult website. Uh, Elon Musk disagreed, saying that x.com was the kind of name for something uh, he would take over the global financial industry. 
they didn't see eye to eye shortly after the board of directors kind of booted him out of the, the CEO seat at PayPal. So uh, he doesn't have a board of directors at uh, Twitter or formerly known as Twitter, now X. So that's not going to happen this time. Uh, he had big aspirations for PayPal. Uh, you know, I think he may have been a little too eager to move digital before the world does back then. So, like, he kind of has that same mentality now. Hell, like, RuneScape hadn't even come out yet, and that's where, like, you know, global banking really started to take notes online because the Grand Exchange. <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, not really, but uh, Elon was forced out of the company at PayPal. Uh, making an X.com where it revolutionizes the financial status quo has been a dream of Elon Musk for a little over 20 years. And he's thinking that this X.com is going to make up about 50% of the global financial industry in a few years, uh, at least according to some interviews he's been in. Uh, so on X, I guess, I've seen some positive sentiment towards it. Like, of course, he would buy Twitter because it has a pre-built user base to create the super app on. Like, it makes sense because you have these brands that are pre-established anyway. And that's why competitors to Twitter, like, just don't succeed. You look at Mastodon, you look at uh, Blue, what is it? Blue Skies? I don't know, Truth Social, I guess. Uh, it's like all of these places are trying to compete with Twitter and pre-established business without having any audience. Threads almost did the same thing, but they brought over Instagram. And I thought that was a huge plus, but like, again, Threads has its own issues. So like, that's kind of moot, but like, I don't know. It's just you have the audience, but the infrastructure on Twitter is just not in the right place to allow Elon Musk to pivot completely over to justify this idea that he can rebrand it to X and make it a super app whenever there's literally nothing except it being like a digital speakeasy. If he really wanted that out of the gate, he should have bought multiple different companies to merge under one app right off the bat. Uh, it's not like it's not like he's going to make enough money with X to buy out companies with these with Twitter's revenue. So he has to make partnerships. It's unprofitable business model. And the only move from what I can see off of some, some research is that uh, X Corp partnered with eToro to let its users see like real time stock prices uh, and then buy and sell shares of companies and cryptocurrency. Other than that, though, there's absolutely nothing on Twitter that has justified it at all than making it more than what it is. Um, and like what we're missing from the super app is like banking, e-commerce, in-app games, a video player, like an actual search engine. And like that's a lot of deals to make to justify you even rebranding it. Uh, rebranding it now seems like charged with as much foresight as like as i said earlier meta's big name change from facebook uh like they thought they were going to take off in their virtual reality like ventures and horizon worlds ironically everything's being canned the MetaQuest pro side note has been canceled after the price dropped to a thousand uh, reportedly they've already told uh manufacturers that like what they have out of the resources to make the next few quest pros are it and like they don't need to make it anymore like the MetaQuest Pro had a really awkward fit and not much functionality and barely any use case compared to its entry-level counterpart, and it was outperformed by the basic Quest 2. So reportedly, yeah, Meta is just cutting production on it. And Horizon Worlds, 
just last fall, the monthly active user base was like around 200,000 and they were expecting 500,000. And there's been no statistics since then, but I can only imagine that people are not using it even more. I, it can't be 200,000 still. Um, nobody wants to sit at work or exercise with goggles or with a heavy battery right in front of your eyeballs. Uh, so again, like Meta pushed so hard to get into this virtual reality space, changed their names, their share is tanked, and then they quietly moved away from that and started doing what Meta has always done best is just social media and brokering data and advertising. Like, like I get it. These companies want to reach the next level and diversify their offerings and take over different markets and bring up their market cap to the next trillion or whatever. But in X's case, it just seems too early. Um, I don't know. There's really no justification to changing their name except for Buzz. Um, and they have no other offerings except Twitter and checking the price of Bitcoin. I think the right way to go about it, if it were to be done again, um, to ease into the super app idea would be to start implementing features of the super app without changing the name of Twitter yet. And you could change, you know, to X Corp like it, or, it was already done. And then whenever you get to the point where you have maps, you have, you know, like a door dashing service almost, like all of these things that would be expected and all of these features that are in China's WeChat that Elon Musk is kind of like gearing towards, once you start getting closer to that, you can rebrand the app to X powered by Twitter. Like it just makes so much sense. Why abandon that recognition that that brand, like everyone recognizes the name? It, I don't know, man. And it like it's so early for this name change. In fact, like it's, it's so spur of the moment that like Elon Musk didn't tell the landlord of the San Francisco office uh, for Twitter that they were changing the sign. And so the landlord, you know, called the police as they were dismantling the old Twitter sign uh, and like stopped them from doing it and left only ER on the side of the building. And I don't know <laughs> if that's not the best like metaphor to describe the situation. I don't know what is. Uh, regardless, though, I mean, I kind of respect, like, Elon Musk's determination. Um, like, he sets his sights on something and really wants to do it, but, like, everything he's done with Twitter so far has seemed, like, really erratic and, like, not well thought out. Even even the purchase, uh, considering that, like, he bought Twitter, I guess was forced to, rather, for almost three times the current valuation of the company, uh, or bringing the company private and wasting billions of dollars just to bring the company private right at the stock price of 5420 because you know we joke um the rate limit changes verification badges twitter blue like it just seems like this dude needs a board of directors to rein him in um but like i mentioned the last time he tried to change a company to x he got forced out from the ceo position so go figure uh you know Anyways, like perhaps I'm just talking with my foot in my mouth and like in a year we'll be shocked at how negatively I'm reacting to the rebranding of Twitter. But until then, I'm going to think this is a PR stunt. I'm going to continue to think this is a PR stunt, a silly PR stunt that like really, 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 really did not need to happen yet, uh, especially with all the bad press that Twitter has had recently. And I like regardless, I don't think that anyone's like that close to building a super app besides like Google. Meta could be close, considering that they like have their consolidated ads manager, revenue sources, um, but they don't really have a good like search engine. 
Google just has it all, especially on the business side. I think like Google My Business uh, listings are like much more effective than like consumer or sorry, like Facebook business pages. Um, and that's what like is really important here. Uh, if you want people to use one app and one app only, you have to make sure it's like really good for the user, whether they be a consumer or a business using your service. Um, or they'll just use another service if it's not like fun or easy to use. Uh, so, I mean, that's why everyone was so upset about like the Reddit stuff. It's like mo Reddit's mobile app like sucks and people were using third party services until Reddit price or API so high. And then people made a big deal that they didn't want to use, you know, Reddit's in-house app because it's not fun, easy to use. It breaks. <sighs> Anyways, love you, Twitter. It's been a good run. Uh, I may be wrong, but I just really don't think this rebrand is anything more than a PR stunt. Uh, the infrastructure of the app is just not ready to support the services for a super app that Elon Musk is promising and it sure as hell won't shake up the status quo all that much besides me calling x twitter again for the millionth time until i get used to it so for now it's just twitter with a new coat of paint uh now that we have that out of the way let's talk about the gaming industry for the first time in this podcast yes i enjoy video games i'm interested in the gaming industry and it's not in the best state right now for both the consumer and the companies who are in the industry don't get me wrong, financially, the gaming industry is doing great, with revenue projected to be $365 billion globally, almost eight times as large as the film industry's lowest uh, revenue valuation, and a little under three times as large as at the film industry's highest, according to Enterprise. So, I mean, the industry is doing fine, but I'm talking about the workers, and I'm talking about the games. So as early as 2018, there is articles being released citing that developers in the gaming industry are criminally underpaid and overworked, uh, of whom many are having unpaid overtime for the upwards of 20 hours a day these people are working. Uh, in June of 2022, UniGlobal Union uh, released a study citing that over 60% of employees globally in the gaming industry were underpaid. Uh, primarily, I mean, crunch culture causes these employees to work like unpaid overtime for a game that may or may not be received well, especially in, in the points where it's like getting close to release. Um, and they're being criminally underpaid for it, apparently, like according to reports. And the average hourly rate for a video game developer is around $20 an hour, which in Springfield, Missouri, where I live, might not be that bad. But consider that many of these gaming companies and people who work on them are centralized in large cities. So like San Francisco, L.A., New York, Chicago, um, hell, Austin, like where the cost of living is much, 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 much higher than where I live. Crunch culture uh, for gaming, it's I mean, it's in other industries, too, but especially whenever you're delivering or delivering an entertainment product. Uh, it's caused by a higher demand for more content by consumers. It's not an issue specific to the past decade in the games industry uh, with games like Halo 2 having a hellish development cycle back in like 2004. Uh, this is, I mean, nonetheless still an issue. When these companies overpromise and eventually underdeliver because of their unrealistic deadlines, helmed by developers making like below the cost of living for their area and not making overtime, no wonder we get these games that are half-baked to the range of horrible. Think... Cyberpunk 2077, Fallout 76, Star Wars, Jedi Survivor, uh, Battlefield 2042, Halo Infinite, Lord of the Rings Gollum. Like, I could go on and on and on about these games that, like, I was at least somewhat interested in and then release and get bad press. I dropped the thought of buying them immediately. 
Uh, but the issue is, is that the gaming industry is at an all-time high with these mediocre releases that like nobody's enjoying. So what's the deal? Is it, like if the employees are not seeing the money and increased hourly rates, even though their industry is soaring, who is? No doubt, like the executives who are still making money hand over fist over the people who develop the games that their company releases. And then, you know, moves in the model of live service gaming, which is basically <laughs> where companies can release a half-finished game and release the rest of it as expansions or updates while monetizing through Battle Pass system and other, like, shops and other things like that. So, yeah, live service gaming, you release it, you update it, you try to keep it alive for five to ten years and provide a con you know consistent stream of content but a lot of the times it's not like this and the worst offender i think is halo infinite which is a huge shame because i am or was you know a huge fan of the halo series the game itself went through a pretty bad production cycle with like high like high level executives outright like dropping the project so the game enters crunch barely squeaked out a game within like you know with six maps and four game modes without even the campaign coming out at launch and then began a live service model to patch the rest of the content in. The problem is, is that it's been almost two years and barely any content has come out except models for the shop and for the battle pass. It really like, it makes it, like, it made me at least, it makes me long for the days with Bungie making Halo, creating games with passion and games that they wanted to play. But even Bungie is struggling to keep their head on straight. Destiny 2, which is Bungie's only offering as a game studio at the moment, has one of the most predatory monetization models I have ever seen, with the expansions costing as much as a full-sized game these days, while also still including loot crates and including a battle pass in form of the three-month season pass, which just releases a few missions and strikes and quests to get you more loot. So you're paying money to get the opportunity to grind for products and you can still, you know, open crates and, like, that's the way you get all the stuff. And I read somewhere it's like, it would cost someone over f like $500 to unlock everything for the Destiny series, and that doesn't even include Eververse stuff, uh, which the Eververse is basically just like unboxing crates. They're called Ingrams. Uh, at the moment, Steam reviews are tanking for Destiny 2, and the community is turning against Bungie for their business tactics, but they're probably still making a lot of money, Bungie is, considering that people still buy their product anyway. Uh, in mobile gaming, uh, whales is a term, who are the top 10% of spenders in their consumer base, and they make up 50% of the app's revenue. And I'm sure the statistics for these live service models like uh, like the Destiny 2, Halo Infinite, I'm sure the statistics are quite the same, considering spending is encouraged by like a rotating cosmetic shop and randomized loot opening crates. So, I mean, we don't really have that much stats on like whales, but I'm I'm sure they're making a lot of money regardless. And, uh, you know, you got to point your finger. Team Fortress 2 really set us up for failure on this one, uh, creating the precedent that, like, you can kind of just release a hat for your character and not really make content for your game and still make money. Uh, these predatory, anti-consumer tactics in the gaming industry in regards to live service, as well as the trend of these AAA games releasing with the game barely even done, causes the consumer to kind of be wary about their purchases even with games made by developers held in, like, high esteem. How do I know that CS2 from Valve isn't going to suck? Or Starfield from Bethesda, considering that Fallout 76 was such a flop? Or Payday 3 from Starbreeze? I really like Payday 2, but they announced they're moving towards an always-online and live-service model. How do I know that these games are gonna be are, aren't going to be terrible, 
and these games that I would otherwise be excited for have this like dark cloud over them and making me really afraid of actually like, you know, purchasing the game. You can't like, I don't know, you just can't have a game like Halo 3. I hate to be bringing up Halo all the time, but it's just such a great example of like falling from grace. Halo 3 releases, there's like 20 game modes, a full-size campaign, tons of maps. Uh, the multiplayer was expansive, fun, it worked. Uh, there was a map creator, a theater mode, file sharing capability. The new Halo game made you wait six months just to play Slayer, which is just team deathmatch. Forge took over a year, which is the map creator, and is still being patched in. Like, hell, I don't even know if theater mode is released because I care so little about the game now because I've just been consistently disappointed over time. It's such a shame because, like, the gameplay feels so good, but the content just isn't there. And that's what it feels like to be a consumer for these AAA studios. Like, you just keep burning your consumer base. One day it's going to blow up in your face. Like, I won't go as far to say the gaming industry is dead, but it's not. It's still doing great. The executives are making money, and the status quo is still the same. It's just worse for the consumer. I would say gaming is dead for the consumer, if anything. Why be engaged in content through the video game if it's just going to spit in your face and make fun of you for paying $60 for a game that just wasn't finished? And then ask you to pay another 25 to paint your character green and give them cat ears. Like, <laughs> not to mention that the workers are, in my opinion, being exploited for their passion for video gaming in the industry. And it's similar to what's kind of going on in Hollywood. Huge budgets for these game or for these films, and little pay for the actors and the writers in a high demand entertainment industry. And the problem is, is that these ra these actors and writers like have a union to represent them, and video game developers do not. And that's why we see these writer strikes going on and we get to see a little bit of leverage from these unions. And, you know, the, the same study I mentioned earlier cited that 79% of video game developers support a union. Um, but, you know, whether to unionize or not is kind of a particular issue depending on the industry. I don't know enough. Uh, it's not something I'm going to specifically say that they should do. But, you know, it's still something to chew on. Um so my plea to, to these gaming companies, pay your employees more. You have the money to do it, especially whenever you move to these live service models, as you know, we see games continuously doing, and you can recoup your losses pretty quickly. Another ask, realistic timelines for your releasing the game. Don't release games when you know they won't be finished, because that only is going to hurt you in the long run, even if, if it doesn't hurt the numbers for the executives. It, I, like, I know that's probably like a board of directors and like really high level management thing, but like it's not like the developers. But just like look at how hard you're working these passionate people to the bone. Just release these games that you're just going to have to apologize for in an official PR statement. The consumers aren't happy and it's going to come back at you at some point. Uh, and then that's it for the gaming, uh, the gaming industry. Just a few more things before we wrap up the episode. I'm just going to have a few headlines that I'm going to go over briefly that are not like interesting enough to me to cover for a full conversation. Uh, there's a Cooper Davis act that's been introduced to Congress, uh, requiring social media and tech companies to report their users for any illegal activity posted or communicated on their platform related to drugs. Basically, the government wants Snapchat to snitch on you, and if they don't, they're going to get fined. Um, some issues. Criminal drug activity, as it's stated that they're looking for, is extremely vague. Uh, my questions are, 
does this reach to marijuana use and how does this relate to the states that have legalized recreational weed? Because uh, technically, marijuana is still illegal federally. Uh, so, I don't know. It's being introduced to federal representatives. What about Oregon and their decriminalization of hard drugs? Like someone in Oregon posts a video of them dropping, dropping acid. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of gray area regarding, you know, state legislation. And there's a lot of people who are not happy about the privacy concerns. Uh, next up, Elon Musk is back again in this week's podcast, and he's suing Twitter's old legal team. Apparently, the legal team that the company formerly known as Twitter hired to make sure Elon Musk didn't drop out of the acquisition, they double-dipped, charging both an hourly rate and a success fee without specifying that in the contract. Elon Musk is headed to court with them, saying that they took advantage of the company while the lame duck board... Um, members had no interest in, had no interest sorry in the financial security of Twitter which is funny because the board had an interest in making sure the company was uh, acquiesced by Elon Musk for 44 billion dollars seems like i don't know it looks really bad in the press because people are kind of portraying it as Elon is suing these people for making him buy the company which could be true i don't know and uh, also Meta and Apple are both in the process of creating their generative text AIs Meta has partnered with Alibaba's cloud to work on theirs, and Apple is kind of doing the same thing in their own time. To think that Siri could be your own real personal assistant sounds kind of sick. Kind of like the Star Trek computer. And I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to put in that sound. Anyways, that's about it, guys. Thanks for tuning into the Social Room podcast this week. We covered a lot of ground, and I appreciate you sticking around to the end. Follow the socials linked in the podcast description. You guys can watch some reels and TikToks that I will drop over the next coming few days, and I will see you next Friday for the Social Room. Have a good weekend.